the stage is bare and empty in the early light of morning, the morning of the world. A young man greets his brother. The young man's name is Abel. God, as he both may and can, speed thee, brother, and thy man. Come kiss my arse, God curse our clan. You get from me no welcome hail. You should have stayed till you were called. Come near and either drive or hold and kiss the devil's tail. Go feed your sheep men in the dale and much ill luck achieve. Brother, why thus on me ye rail? Thee no one here would grieve. But, brother, hear my speech. The customs of our law us teach. All that work should take advice and worship God with sacrifice. Our fathers bade us, and our fathers knew, that one-tenth part to God was due. Come forth, brother, and let us go to worship God. Oh, why stay you so? Part of our goods to God give we, corn or cattle, whatever it be. Should I leave plough and everything to make with thee an offering? Nay, thou find'st me not so mad. Go to the devil and say I bad. What gives God thee to praise him so? To me he gives but sorrow and woe. When I should sow and wanted seed, and of corn had full great need, then gave he me none of his. No more will I give him of this. Brother, come forth in God's name. Afraid I am we are to blame. Haste we now, I thee implore. Go, run on in the devil's name before. Why should I my trouble lose and tear my socks while wearing shoes? Dear brother, it were great wonder that I and thou should part asunder. Then would our father fain ask why? Are we not brothers, thou and I? No, but prate on till your wits are dazed. Now by my troth I count thee crazed. Whether he be blithe or wroth, to give my goods I am full loath. But well I see, go must I need. Set on before. Ill might thou speed. God that made both heaven and earth, that has delivered us from dearth, now take in thanks, if thy will be, my tithe I offer here to thee. Rise, let me now, since thou hast done. Lord, hear what boon I have begun. As much in one sweep one may reap was given to him a bargain cheap, not as much great or small as he might wipe his ass withal. Therefore, ask me no more than this, for I have given what my will is. Cain, I warn thee, tithe aright, for dread of him so powerful might. The way I tithe tax not your head, but tend thy scabby sheep instead. If my tithe you think not true, it will be the worse for you. Cain, better tithe thou to the end, that God of heaven rest your friend. My friend? <laughs> Nay, not unless he will. Reason only rules me still. If I need not dread him sore, I were a fool to give him more. If right thou tithed, such must thou find. Yes, kiss the devil's arse behind. The devil hang thee by the neck. How I may tithe, never thou wreck. But now, since thou hast offered thine, now will I set fire to mine. <laughs> Alas, Harrow, help to blow. For me it burns no more than snow. Puff, this smoke does me much shame. Burn now on the devil's name! Ah, what devil of hell is it? Almost had my lungs been split. I would that it were in my throat. Fire and sheaf and wheat and oat. Cain, why art thou such a rebel against thy brother Abel? To jeer and jibe there is no need. If thou tithe right, thou gets thy need. But be sure if thou tithe ill, repay thou shalt be by thy evil. 
who is that hob over the wall? Alas, who is that that pipes so small? Come, go we hence from perils all. God is out of his wit. Come forth, Abel, and let us go. I find that God will be my foe. From here, then, must I flit. Oh, Cain, brother, that is ill done. No, but fast, hence let us run. And if I may, there shall I be where God's eye shall not see me. Dear brother, I shall will be at hand in the field where our beasts stand to see if they be well or sick. They may abide. We have a bone to pick. Hark, speak with me ere thou go. What? Thinkest thou to escape so? Nay, a deep debt I owe thee by right, and now is time I thee requite. Brother, why to me show you so much spleen? Oh, thief, why burnt thy tide so clean when mine but foully smoked as if it were us both had choked? If thine smoked, am I to blame? Yes, and you shall smart with shame. With cheekbone ere my hand I stay, I shall have torn thy life away. Vengeance! Vengeance, Lord, I cry, for I am slain. And not guilty. So lie down there and take thy rest. The spraying curs are chastised best. Yes, lie thou there, wretch. Lie there. Lie! And if any of you think I did amiss, I shall amend it worse than it is, that all men may it see. Much worse than it is. Right, so shall it be. The Sacrifice of Cain and Abel, from the Wakefield Mysteries, one of the great cycles of medieval English religious drama, which is being produced in the Abbey Theatre, opening tomorrow night. Now, to talk about the Wakefield cycle, we'll hear later from the director of the production, Miss Sally Miles. But in the meantime, a word in general about these plays. I have here in the studio Mr Tom Kilroy, who as well as being a dramatist is also a lecturer in English literature in University College Dublin. Now, the very words miracle and mystery are a bit ambiguous, um, rather like in Thurber's uh, story about who murdered Macbeth, uh, the lady who thought this was a thriller. Um, the word mystery could be ambiguous, couldn't it? Indeed, yes. Uh, well, mystery refers to a specific kind of medieval play a play which was based upon uh, biblical scenes from the Old and the New Testament. And the miracle play referred more to, to a more general kind of religious play, often on the lives of the saints or, as in every man, on the uh, conflict, the basic religious conflict between good and evil. The word uh, morality was used there too, wasn't it? The word morality, yes, would be used in that instance. Now, all this started in the Middle Ages. How it began is of considerable interest. One theory, of course, is that it did actually begin as a development of the liturgical action itself. And this is a good week, really, for talking about this, because the liturgy of Holy Week is, of course, full of dramatic potential. And one gathers that in the medieval church, it was not uncommon to act out further, to take the hints in the various portions of the liturgy, one famous example being um, at Easter itself, mm -hmm. the uh, yes, yes. dialogue there. This is the, uh, there is a certain amount of controversy as to where, in fact, uh, these, how, in fact, these plays developed. Uh, before, the, in the early part of the Middle Ages, the church was very antagonistic to the theatre and to theatrical enterprises, 
And uh, one theory is that, in fact, um, these plays originated, as you say, in the liturgy proper with what were called tropes. And tropes were a kind of dramatizations which were added to the liturgy, uh, the most famous one being uh, one which is called Quem Queritus in Sepulchro, uh, Whom Do You Seek in the Sepulchre? And this was a little play which enacted the arrival of the Marys to the tomb. Now, uh, whether in fact the church established this uh, from the beginning, or whether in fact they were incorporating uh, the theatre outside, the dramatic presentations outside to its own use, this is open to question. But it's probable that, and like so many other instances, the church took a secular um, kind of method of expression and adapted it to its own use. I think this is what is believed. Mind you, we do have in medieval service books from England and from the continent actual rubrics mm -hmm. of the acting out of things like the Quen Oh, yes, yes. Uh, but as you say, of course, this doesn't prove that this was the main or only source of mm -hmm. the, of the uh, miracle play or the mystery play itself. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a point, of course, here, too, about the general attitude of the church at the time. I suppose a lot of this was a hangover from the uh, decadence of the, mm -hmm. the Roman theatre. Quite, yes. In fact, the, um, there was a resistance inside Roman culture itself against a lot of the more licentious plays, and uh, the church, in many instances, the early church, was simply representing this uh, in its antagonism. But there's no doubt whatsoever that as the uh, religious drama of the Middle Ages developed, it incorporated into it uh, very, very old theatrical forms and theatrical techniques and the whole business of, of the mimes, the wandering, strolling players. This eventually came into this type of what was originally a religious, religious drama. Now, of course, uh, one important sociological point has to be made uh, that the greater part of these plays that we have on record in English came from the cities where the old medieval guilds right. were established. Mm -hmm. And indeed, it has been suggested that uh, another explanation of the use of the word mystery here mm -hmm. is a reference to the mystère, to the guild, to the craft Quite, itself, yes. rather than mm -hmm. just to the mystery of, of mm -hmm. religion. Mm -hmm. This is so, I think, that um, uh, the most remarkable thing about this uh, drama is that while it's religious, uh, it eventually becomes deeply rooted in the whole business of daily living. And the individual crafts sponsored these plays, such as the York plays or the Chester plays or the Wakefield plays that we're talking about. Yes, indeed. Uh, in the York cycle of plays, yes. uh, I see that the creation and fall of Lucifer were done by the Barkers or Tanners. Because, Quite, yes, uh, yes. I think the Tanners, because uh, Adam and Eve wore leather. Right. And uh, the creation up to the fifth day by the plasters, I don't quite, quite see that one. Um, <laughs> well, some of them are, are very obvious. You have, the, for example, uh, the uh, goldsmiths uh, performed the, um, the Three Wise Kings, and the butchers, to turn to a more grotesque aspect of it, uh, performed the uh, crucifixion sequence. The Baker's The Last Supper. The Last Supper, quite, yes. Uh, one or two which are rather intriguing. Why the temptation of Jesus should be done by the blacksmiths is, is <laughs> there's probably a, a, deep, a deep rooted reason for that. <laughs> something very interesting there. Now, again, another word that we must think of in connection with mm -hmm. this is, and a word that, of course, lives on today, the word pageant. It had a very right. special meaning then. 
Well, I think it's, it arises out of the methods of production, which Sally Miles would probably be talking about. But there were two methods of production, really, of the mystery play, one of which was at uh, what were called stations. Uh, that is to say that uh, the audience was in a fixed position and uh, the, uh, you had the performance on a kind of, of stage. The other method of performance, though, is actually processional. And this is closer, of course, to our one of our meanings of the word pageant. That is to say that um, this vast cycle of plays, which uh, often began at dawn and ended at dusk, um, and were done on days like Corpus Christi right. Day and so yes. forth, yes. Mm. And cover the whole cycle uh, from, we'll say, the creation of the world to the Last Judgment. Um, this lends itself, you see, to a kind of processional um, technique, and this was, was the second method. I think the word pageant comes from that. It also has this echo, of course, of spectacle which uh, we associate with pageant too, that uh, a lot of these plays, while they were highly verbal and poetic, um, carried a great deal of force in, in visual terms. Now, curiously enough, there's a great contrast here with one special set of plays, mm -hmm. the Cornish plays, which were made in the Cornish language. Yes. And, of course, Cornwall uh, being... Um, more of a rural community. The plays were done in open-air amphitheatres, as far as one Quite, gathers. Yes. And the texts themselves mm -hmm. are far more lyrical and far more mm -hmm. um, expressionistic, if you like, in the very, in the very words. There was, there was yes. less dependence, I think, on yes, spectacle yes. and on trappings, which, of course, raises the question, the Cornish and, I think, the Bretons, are the, who were their cousins, are the only Celtic people to have produced these plays in, mm -hmm. in, their, in the Celtic language in the Middle Ages. Uh, there, there are odd traces, I think, of plays in Dublin. Um, we know, for instance, one called The Pride of Life was done in Christ Church very early mm -hmm. in the 15th century. Mm -hmm. But um, the records of these are not as full, certainly, as for the English plays. Strangely enough, it was considerably later, after the Reformation, mm -hmm. that we have a very well-documented story of, the, of religious drama mm -hmm. in Kilkenny, when mm -hmm. Bishop Bale came to Kilkenny. Now, uh, the Reverend William O'Neill, uh, Presbyterian minister in Hoth and Sutton, uh, who has been working on a study of Bale as a theologian, uh, can tell us something about what Bale had in mind. He was, by all accounts, quite a remarkable man in the uh, Reformation scene. Uh, Bale was a Carmelite friar, born about 1495, uh, he was very zealous for the reputation of the order, as I understand it. But, like many at the uh, beginning of the 16th century, he became influenced by what they called the, human, the humanism of the day. Uh, this was to lead eventually, I think, to uh, an interest in reform teachings during the time that he was in the uh, House of the Carmelite Friars at Cambridge. And... Uh, even later still, Bale was uh, to become uh, a thoroughgoing reformer. Uh, this was especially so after the uh, Act of Supremacy of 1534. Now, like many men of his day, Bale uh, had been interested in the miracle play. Uh, we're almost quite certain that uh, before uh, 1536, for example, when he began to write for John de Vere, the first Earl of Oxford, and for Thomas Cromwell, almost certain that before that, uh, Bale had had a number of plays to his credit. 
performed around about the district of Thorndon, where he became a curate when he uh, forsook his vows. Now, um, Thomas Cromwell, who was his patron, was also interested in the religious play. Cromwell was very interested in the religious play, uh, not from the point of view of the uh, uh, aesthetics of uh, the play, uh, not from the point of view of uh, pure drama, but uh, from the point of view of propaganda. Uh, Cromwell was perhaps one of the first to realize that here you had uh, a tremendous vehicle uh, of propaganda. Uh, Cromwell, uh, being the administrator that he was, um, with a vision of uh, a certain kind of administration in England, uh, desired that certain things should happen there. He desires, it seems, that there should be a break, a complete break with the papacy, desired that it should be affirmed again and again that the papacy had usurped the rights of English kings. And uh, he also desired, uh, in the interests of the coffers of Henry VIII, that there should be a dissolution of the monasteries. Now, one of the ways of making all this acceptable to the people uh, in an age when the rate of literacy wouldn't be so high as today was to stress these things uh, through the medium of the play. And this is what Bale set about to do. Uh, because of a bit of trouble that he had in Thorndon, he was cast into prison. The this great, was during Henry's time. This was during Henry's time, yes. The great uh, antiquary, Leyland, who was a friend of Bale's, decided that he would have him out of prison, and he appealed to Cromwell for him. And Cromwell brought Bale out of Stokesley, Bishop Stokesley's prison, uh, to work for him as a propagandist. Now, it was quite some time after that that he came to the sea of Ossery, wasn't it? It was a considerable time after that indeed. A lot of water had flowed onto the bridge, as we say. Because in 1540, Bale's patron, Cromwell, was to lose his head because of perhaps uh, the marriage of Anne uh, of Cleves that he had tried to force on Henry VIII. Uh, and with the fall of his patron, Cromwell, Bale... Billius Bale, as he's been called, who had been extreme in his uh, attacks on the church. He had to go into exile. He went into exile uh, in Lower Germany, as he calls it, uh, for a period of about eight years. He returned in 1548. Uh, he was the rector of Bishopstoke. And from there, uh, eventually, uh, in the year 1553, he came to Ireland as the Bishop of Oswey. Well, of course, coming to Kilkenny, which was the centre of the diocese, he came to an English town. He had no language problems, and therefore he found a receptive audience. And perhaps theologically, too, some of the people were willing to accept Protestant ideas? Yes, he seems to have found uh, a comparatively... Uh, receptive audience for his plays. In a moment or two we'll say something about plays that were performed there. Uh, and one would think that uh, if anywhere in Ireland, certainly in Kilkenny, he would find a reasonably warm uh, reception uh, for his Protestant uh, doctrines. Uh, now did he write much when he was in Ireland then? He can't have had very much time to write anything uh, when he was in Ireland because he was only here for a very short time. He was consecrated on the 2nd of February and he must have uh, departed from Ireland 
sometime in uh, September in the same year? of the year 1553. Mm -hmm. But there is evidence that some of his plays were performed in Kilkenny. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, from early on, Bale must have uh, begun to uh, uh, see that plays were performed in Kilkenny. Uh, an interesting thing is that uh, Bale must have set great store by the performance of these plays. Because we find that uh, in Thorndon, where he was curate, they were performed. Uh, we find that in Bishopstoke, where he was rector, plays were performed to the great chagrin of some of the uh, so-called papists there. Uh, and uh, in uh, Kilkenny, I venture, from early on, he began to uh, see to it that his plays were performed. Now, precise information uh, to the effect of him performing plays there is given in his vocation, as he calls it, to the Bishop of Osray. We learn there that on the day the Lady Mary was declared Queen in Kilkenny, that was the 20th day of August, there were processions and musters and disguisings. There was great rejoicing and Bale's play God's Promises in the Old Law was performed in the forenoon and in the afternoon the young men of Kilkenny at the Mar Market Cross performed St. John Baptist's preaching and of Christ's baptizing and of his temptations in the wilderness. And was that his final and finest hour in Ossery? Well, it must have been, uh, well, it must have given him some satisfaction, this performance of his uh, plays there. But just about that time, uh, as I see it, he was engaged in a running war with those who wanted to oust him for religious reasons mainly, uh, but maybe uh, for selfish reasons too, in that they were interested in his place at Holmes Court. Uh, Bale was uh, to leave uh, Kilkenny. Uh, he felt that he could do no other, uh, perhaps sometime uh, at the beginning of September. Uh, he went to Dublin, and from Dublin eventually, uh, he was to uh, decide to make his way to Scotland, where he would wait and see how things were going to brew in Ireland. Uh, but a mischance befell him there. He was seized upon by pirates, uh, and he eventually ended up in uh, Frankfurt and Maine, where he was embroiled in the famous Frankfurt controversy between the Noxians and the, the Coxians. So ends a rather curious chapter in the later history of the miracle plays. But now I think we'd better get down to the main centre of our interest this evening, which is, as I've said, the Wakefield Cycle, and uh, Sally Miles, who's directing and who has directed them in England before, with great success, uh, has kindly come along to tell us something about them. Your, the, the, the Wakefield cycle, it, it, they do originate in the town of Wakefield in Yorkshire, do they? Yes, they do. They're also known as the Townley cycle because they were kept by the Townley family for many years. But they are indeed uh, originate. well, they originated in Wakefield and are called also the Wakefield cycle because... In about 1450, a certain unknown gentleman, just referred to as the Wakefield Master, put all the plays together and made a complete edition. And it was the, the first time the whole lot had been put together by this gentleman. And there they stayed in Wakefield Museum from about that time until this century. 
Yes, the rediscovery of the Miracle Play is fairly recent, of course. I mean, uh, at least uh, apart from the narrowest academic circles, I don't think, you know, there were very much... Uh, no, I no. think in, in, in the earlier part of this century, in the sort of 20s, there were versions done of some of the plays, but it wasn't until the 50s, late 50s, that a man named Marshall Rose put the whole lot together, the whole 32 plays, and there is now this complete edition of them, and it is from this edition, the Marshall Rose edition, that we have taken our 16. Of course, the original manuscript, as these things happen, no longer is in England, that's in America, in the Huntingdon Library, and uh, Wakefield only possesses a photostat copy. <laughs> the 32 plays could have, been con could have been conveniently done, presumably in a day's playing, but, of course, uh, for yes. an evening in theatre, you must cut it yes, down. Yes, they were usually done on Corpus Christi Day, but in the old times, but we've cut it down to about a two and a half hours evening's entertainment. And what are you concentrating on? Well, we start with Cain and Abel because it shows evil, and then we have Noah. They're the two plays from the Old Testament. Noah shows God trying to put things right. And after that we have the Annunciation, and we follow the story of Christ as we know it, straight through to the Resurrection. And this is the main the portion main, of the yes, evening. Yes, it is. Well, now, uh, in these excerpts that we're playing uh, this evening, uh, we're only using, of course, again, part of this portion of the cycle. We have um, already heard the Cain and Abel sequence, and now I think we'll hear the uh, Noah Yes. Uh, have you anything particular to say about this? Well, the this? great thing about Noah is, you know, when we talk about a religious cycle, people think, oh, religious drama, church, and it follows that line of thought. But as was earlier said, um, these plays are very deeply rooted in, in the domestic life, and Noah particularly shows this when God tells Noah to go home and, and to build an ark and get all his family aboard. He sets off, but his problem is that Mrs. Noah will not come aboard. She's going to stay at home. She's not having any of this nonsense. And this develops into a domestic row, such as we all know. And in this way, it really shows how it is rooted in the domestic part of life. Well, then, let's listen to the domestic life of the Noahs. Um, whoever has the last word here, I think Noah, anyway, has the first word. Godspeedy, wife, how fare ye? Now, as ever I might thrive, the worst to see thee. Tell me on your life, where thus long could you be? Wife, we are hard-pressed with tidings new. <laughs> thou art to be dressed in Stafford blue, for thou art always depressed, be it false or true. God knows I am oppressed, and that I may rue full ill. All I hear is thy crow, from even till morrow, screeching ever of sorrow. God said thee once thy fill. Hush, hold thy tongue, ramshit, or I shall thee still. As I thrive, if thou smite, I shall pay back with skill. We shall see who is right. Have at thee, Jill. Upon the bone shall it bite that can both whine and bite. For all thou art worth worth, there is not her like of all this earth. But I will keep charity in this to do. Here shall no man tarry thee. I pray thee, go too. Full well may we miss thee as pieces our due. To spin will I address me. Now I say I will something of carpentry. In nomine patris et filitus spiritus sancti. Amen. <clears throat> now... My gown will I cast and work in my coat. <laughs> Make will I the mast to set in the boat. Oh, oh my back breaks fast. <laughs> this is a sorry note. It is wonder that I last, so weak that I dote. 
Behold, to begin this affair, oh, my bones are so bare, no wonder they despair, for I am full old. The top and the sail both will I make, the helm and the castle also will I take, to drive in each nail without a mistake, this way will never fear, <laughs> that dare I undertake right soon. <sighs> this was a noble plan. These nails so swiftly ran through more or less the span of these boards, each one. Now, will I hide me despair the ill weather, my wife and my family to bring even thither? Listen here carefully, wife, and consider. Hence we must flee altogether right fast. Why, sir, what ails you? All this world about, with fear floods so stout, that shall run in a rout shall be overspread. He said... All shall be slain, but only we. Our bairns shall remain, and their wives three. A ship he bade me ordain to save our company. Therefore, with all our main, that Lord thank we, save ever our blood, go along fast, go thither. Oh, I know not whither. I days not thither for fear of that flood. Be not afraid, have done, thrust up your gear, lest we be undone without more fear. Oh, in faith and for your long tarrying ye shall taste of the whip. Are those strokes good, say ye? What say ye, go sing? Now quay, cry me mercy, I say. To that I say nay. If not by this day thy head shall I break. Oh, ye men that have wives, while they are young, if ye love your lives, chastise their tongue. Methinks my hat rives both liver and lung to see such strife wedded men among. But I, as have such bliss, shall chastise this. Yet may ye miss nickel needy. I shall make thee still a stone, beginner of blunder. I shall beat thee back and bone and break all in sunder. Well, for the moment at least, Noah had the last word also there. And now to a domestic scene of a very different kind. Yes, the Annunciation. Um, here, there's great warmth and humanity in this scene. And I think the best piece we can illustrate this with is when Joseph comes home to find his wife is pregnant, much to his dismay, and he's certain that she's deceived him. Yes, of course, this theme is not unfamiliar to, in the folklore and folk songs of these islands, the, uh, the cherry tree carol, of yes, course, carries yes, of the course. theme, and it has gone and into many ramifications in Irish folk music too. Um, the interest here again, I, I, I think, is the um, enormous, the, the sort of robust tenderness of it. You know, yes, the, there is. Uh, is a great true. delicacy, but not yeah. squeamishness. You know, no. it is, it is marvelous. Um, I like also. I think in, isn't this the scene where the angel comes the in? The angel does come because uh, Joseph, in de his desperation, thinks he'll set off into the wilderness and and he can't face really going home again. But uh, the angel Gabriel appears to him and uh, tells him what's really happened. And again, the angel, you know, is so down to earth. As yes, well. not, not, not so much an angel on a cloud with wings, but very much a sort of elder brother who, who is there. Much like the, 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 Pasol the angel in the Pasolini film very of, of like, Saint very Matthew. Very like, yes, very strong, and, and not, not, as I say, one with sort of wings and sitting on clouds. So now to uh, this portion of the Annunciation play, and Joseph speaks first. Almighty God, what may this be? Mary, my wife, amazes me. Herself she has forgot. 
Her body is great, and she with child. By me she never was defiled. Mine, therefore, the child is not. She is with child. I know not how. Who could trust any woman now? <laughs> no man of any good. I know not now what I should do, save to go to her and ask her who shall own the fatherhood. Uh, hail Mary, and well ye be. Why, but woman, what cheer with thee? The better, sir, for you. So would I, woman, that you were. A mock now, Mary, you'll incur, and your state sadly rue. But one thing I must ask of thee. This child's father, who is he? Sir, ye and God of heaven. Mine? Oh, Mary, leave be thy din. You know I have no part therein. Swear it by those stars seven. By God's will, Joseph, it must be. For certainly, save God and ye, I know no other man, nor in flesh have been defiled. Well, how then art thou thus with child? Excuse that if you can. Oh, so God save me, I blame thee not to weaken for a woman's lot. But to thee I must say this. Well, you know, and so do I, that thy state cannot deny that thou hast done amiss. Yea, God, he knows all my doing. Oh, now this is a wondrous thing, and I can say naught thereto. But in my heart I feel full sore, and ever longer more and more. For dole, what shall I do? Should an angel this deed have wrought? <laughs> Such excuses help me not, nor no cunning that they can. A heavenly thing, forsooth, is he, and she is earthly. No, this may not be. It is some other man. Yet if indeed it so befall, with God's son that she be with all, such grace is me denied. I know well I am not he who worthy should deem to be that blessed body beside, nor yet be in her company. To the wilderness then flee, and there my fate deplore. In future never with her deal, but secretly from her shall steal, that meet shall we no more. Be warned, Joseph, and change thy thought, which to wandering thee has brought in the wilderness so wild. Turn home to thy spouse again, thy wife she is without a stain, nor ever was defiled. Tax not from earth the heavenly host, she has conceived the Holy Ghost, and God's Son she will bear. Therefore, with her in thy decree, meek and obedient look thou be, and of her take good care. Ah, Lord, I love thee above all, for so great boon as may befall, that I should tend this stripling, I that so ungracious were to cast on her the slightest slur. Mary, my dear darling. Repent I now what I have said against her matchless maidenhead, for she is pure indeed. Therefore to her now will I go, and pray her be my friend, not foe, and her forgiveness plead. Ah, Mary, wife, what cheer? The better, sir, that ye are here. Thus long, where have ye been? 
Oh, fretting and walking up and down, and troubled how to smooth thy frown against my thoughts unclean. For now I know and clearly see my trespass against God and thee. Forgive me, I thee pray. Now all that ever ye said to me, God forgives as I do thee with all the might I may. Blessed be, Mary, thy good will in forgiving my words ill when I did thee upbraid. And blessed be he with such a wife, though dowerless to share his life, he may count himself well paid. Lo, I am as light as a leaf. He that can quench all grief and ever wrong amend, lend me grace, power, and might, my wife and her sweet son of light, to keep to my life's end. Now we go straight into the story of the Passion, where Jesus is brought before Pilate. Yes. Here, um, I think we can see very clearly that these plays have great subtlety as well as their obvious vitality. Um, in this scene, where they bring Jesus to Pilate, we really can feel the, the political pressures being put onto Pilate. He's not played just, as one might think, as a, as a, as a wicked the evil man like Herod is but it's very subtle how it shows him as a weak man with, with the soldiers the crowd Annas Caiaphas all putting the pressures on him to get rid of Jesus and him not wanting to and of him washing his hands and, and thereby washing his hands of the guilt but really all the time not not wanting to have anything to do with it and this scene I think shows very clearly this aspect the subtlety the soldiers bring Jesus into Pilate. Sir Pilate, with your chieftains, to you we cry and call that ye make some ordinance for this wretched thrall with skill. This man we have led on cross, ye kill him dead. What without more said, that is not my will. This man without awe, which ye lead in a band, in word or deed I saw no wrong to reprimand. Why here ye should him draw, or bear falsely in hand with ill? Herod, true as any stone, could find no fault in him. Nothing was known that signified a sin. Why should I then be prone further to pry therein? Therefore, this is my counsel. I will not with him meddle. Let him go where he will, for now and evermore. He calls himself a king when none he is. Thus down would he bring our laws by this with his false lying. We cannot dismiss this rebel. Ark fellow, come near. Thou knowest I have power to excuse or damn thee here, and house thee I in hell. Such power hast thou not to work thy will with me, but from my father that is brought, one foe guard and persons three. Certain it comes well into my thought at this time, as well know ye. A thief that any felony has wrought him let we escape or go free away. Therefore let ye him pass. Nay, nay, not Barabbas, but Jesus in this case to death, ye damn this day. Pilate, do after us and damn to death Jesus. Crucify him! Crucify him! Now that I am blameless of this blood shall ye see. Both my hands expressly washed now shall be. Now your desire I give you all. Away you may him haul in cross to put that thrall. 
His life there to sever. Crucify him! Sirs, he calls himself king. So a crown is the thing. <laughs> no, here a crown of thorn to burn his brain within. Put on his head with scorn and spear it through the skin. <laughs> <laughs> Sirs, we may be fain, for I have found a tree on which he shall suffer pain, fastened by nails three. There shall be nothing gained thereon till dead he be, surely say I. Come, bring him hence. I would spend all my pence to see him hang high. The people of Bedlam, the gentles of Jerusalem, all the commoners of this realm shall wander on this day. And now for our final excerpt, we go to Calvary itself. Yes, here the, we have the crucifixion, and this isn't played as a romantic piece at all. This is very straightforward. This is taken really from the soldier's point of view more than anyone else's. They have found themselves in the position of, of uh, crucifying Jesus, and he's only just one of a lot of, of people they're having to crucify every day. So they want to get their job done as fast as possible. They're there to torture him, get him up, get him dead as quickly as possible and go. And the problem is he won't die as soon as, as they would like. And so really it's this side of it. The other, th the, sh the play shows, the other thing which one might mention here to make it clear, of course they didn't use a special cross for Jesus historically. Um, they would use the same cross for, for several people that they crucified. I mean, they weren't going to make a different one each time. And they would have the, the holes for the nails already bored. And if the cross was made for a, a six-foot man and you were only crucifying a five-foot-six man, obviously his hands weren't going to reach where those holes were. So all the references are stretching his arms out till it come to the bore and stretch his legs till they come to the bore. Uh, this is referring to, to, to this, which uh, makes the torture, of course, much worse if he isn't it, an enormous man. It makes also the, uh, one would imagine, the action here, you know, crude. And yet I think that, uh, remembering what you've said about it being from the executioner's point of view and all that, nevertheless, this none of this takes from... In fact, it, it really brings out into greater relief Yes, it does. it does. It does. It enhances it, yes. if anything. I think because it isn't, we're dealing with such basics that, that it's not overshadowed in any way by anything brought in, any other element brought so, in. So now the executioners uh, lay Jesus on the cross. Lo, here I have the bands, if need be, to bind his hands. This thong I trust will last. And this one for the other side. That shall abate his pride. So be it first drawn fast. Lo, here's a hammer and nails also, for to fasten down our foe to this tree soon now. Sir, come hither and have done. Your palfrey would it were begun. He is ready, I can tell. That ye be bound on, be not wroth. To mount you unfirm, we are loath, lest ever ye down fell. Lit thou not with all thy strength. Out to draw his arm in length till it come to the bore. Thou madest man by this light. It lacks to each man's sight half a span or more. It draw this arm and fix it fast. 
with this rope that well will last and each man lay hand to. Yea, and bind thou fast that band. I shall go to that other end and look what we can do. Drive a nail right here throughout, and then we need us nothing doubt that home it comes to rest. That shall I do as well I thrive, for to clench and for to drive of all I am the best. down his knees. That shall I do. Your nurse no better help gave you. Pull his legs down tight. Throw out his limbs much further yet. <laughs> that was well drawn and cost much sweat. Hold it now fast, therefore. And why don't you take the board and then it may not fail. That shall I do with good heed. As ever hope I will to speed and cause him bitter bale. <sighs> Go I now to the other end. Now, your hands, fellas, look your lend to pull well at this band. Pull! Have now! Have now! Let's Let see! Uh, Let's see! Oh. Now we have not fought! So, fellas, now look alive. Which of you now best can drive? And I shall take the bore. Now to try my turn, let me. <laughs> Best farrier I hope to be for the clenching right. <laughs> to raise him up now when we may. <laughs> for I hope he and his pal Frey shall not part this night. <laughs> <laughs> Come hither, fellows, and lend hand. And make this tree to stand aloft with all your might. Up with the timber, fast on end. Up, fellows. Your full force now, men. <laughs> so, sir, gape against the sun. Now, fellow, wear thy crown. Guiltless death ye may consign. No for my sins, but for thine. Thus rent and rude am I. Father in heaven, I pray to you, forgive them thou this guilt, grant but this boon, they know not what they do, nor whose blood they have spilt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what we do, full well we know. We pay back fully what we owe. Now the plague take us corpse, say I. Thinks he that we should care or cry, what the devil that he should ail? He would hold us here all day of his debt to make delay, I tell you, without fail. Lift up this tree among us all. Yea, and let it in the mortar fall, <laughs> and that shall give him a jar. Yes, <laughs> this should rend him limb <laughs> from limb. <laughs> Breaking every joint within, <laughs> he may not our sport mark. Alas, <laughs> 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 I for prayer I cry and stagger in my need. Why hangst thou sun so high? My ills begin to breed. All blemished is thy beauty. I see thy body bleed. In well, son, had we never such ill fate decreed. Alas for woe, my lady dear, for us he suffers pain. He with his death shall ransom make, as before the prophet spake. I sorrow, therefore thou forsake. Weeping may nothing gain. He now in sorrow takes our stain that we live clean tomorrow. Alas, 
my lamb so mild? Why wilt thou leave me so, amongst these wolves so wild that work thee all this woe? From shame, who may thee shield, if friends thus from thee go? Alas, my comely child, why wilt thou leave me so? Love drives him forcibly. Himself he will not spare to redeem all faithfully, us who have sinned our share and more. My dear lady, truly your mourning cease therefore. Gabriel, so good that one time did me greet, but then I understood thy words that were so sweet, but now they changed my mood that promised grace replete. To bear of my body and blood a child, or bail to defeat, though right. Now hangs he here on rude. Is this the promised sight? Mother, make now no more mourning. Since mankind through my dying may thus to bliss be bought. Woman, weep thou right not. Take thy John unto thy child. Mankind must needs be bought. John, lo there, my mother mild. This suffer I for thy need. For thy grace I do this deed. Now thirst I wonder sore. If thou be Christ, as men thee call, come down amongst us all and endure not this dismay. Yeah, help thyself. That we may see, and all of us shall trust in thee, whatsoever thou say. He calls himself a god of might. I would gladly see that slight performed for such a deed. Lazarus from the grave he raised. To help himself he is two days now in his great need. Wherefore and why hast thou forsaken me? How? Hear ye not as well as I? How he did on Elias cry? Eh, I warrant it is time almost that he shall soon yield up the ghost, for torture takes its toll. My flesh no more this pain withstands. Father of heaven, into thy hands I command my soul. Let one prick him with a spear. If he flinch not, never fear. Then is his life quite past. Not the end of the story, but there we must leave it now. What a shame that such moving plays were so little known for so long. Yes, I think this, of course, is because of the Reformation in England, although as late as 1576, when Shakespeare was oh, 12 years old, the citizens of Wakefield were preparing to stage their cycle as usual, but the Ecclesiastical Commission for the North came down very heavily with censorship and forbade them to show in any way God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost being presented, or the administration of either the sacraments of the baptism or the Lord's Supper, and this really didn't leave much else, and the effect was to censor the cycle out of existence. 
until the last 10 years. Well, thanks to the people who brought it back, and including yourself. Well, I'm very happy to have, anyway, brought them to Ireland. <laughs> when I was speaking to Tom Kilroy earlier about the general history of these plays, uh, I spoke to him as uh, wearing his academic hat. But as a playwright, uh, Tom, in the present scene, the contemporary scene, do you think these plays are of significance? Yes, I think so. Um, I think that every writer, um, just simply because he's a writer, has a feeling of community with the dead writers of the past. And there are some extraordinary writers in this uh, mystery uh, play tradition. Um, there are about 30 plays, I think, in the Wakefield cycle. And of those, I think about five or six, we believe, were written by one man. And he was a very remarkable dramatist indeed. We call him the Wakefield Master. And I think that although we're separated in time and in sensibility from this kind of writer, uh, he has a lot in common with uh, um, the drama that we have today. <coughs> uh, I think, for example, one of the dramatists who is closest in spirit to the medieval uh, dramatist is, is Brecht. Um, and indeed to the Wakefield master, he has the same sense of affinity with the poor and the downtrodden. And uh, although both dramatists, of course, each one starts from a very different uh, ethical point of view. Um, there are also, there's also a certain revival of the drama of ritual today, which is very interesting. It's non-religious, um, in that uh, one of the difficulties in seeing these plays for a modern audience, particularly a modern audience fed on television, is that their sense of character and their sense of time is totally different. Um, they're not naturalistic. For example, um, the Wakefield play, uh, the second shepherd's play, is a play dealing with um, the nativity and with the shepherds, but the shepherds belong to the contemporary day of the writer. They belong to 14th century Yorkshire, wherever it was. And this sense of time, um, the lack of, of a dependence upon history, makes perhaps these plays a bit uh, difficult to well, understand. Well, of course, Shakespeare even had a touch of this. I mean, what, are, what we would call, what a pedant might call anachronisms in Shakespeare. Yes. this sort of thing, isn't it? Yes, it is, it is this. And it's also human character in that um, human character was often symbolic in these plays. And uh, particular incidents were symbolic. I, I think, for example, a very interesting parallel between the Wakefield's second shepherd's play and Waiting for Godot. Uh, in the Second Shepherd's play, you have the bringing on of a sprig of cherry, which stands for the rebirth, the uh, coming of spring in this bleak landscape. And it corresponds, to my mind, very closely to the use that Beckett makes of the little green-coloured ribbons in the second part of Waiting for Godot. It's just a small instance, but it's the same kind of drama, the same ritual, sense of ritual. Now, does it also bring up this question of how popular can theatre be in the real sense of the word and at the same time make statements which are not just reassuring? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it does because at certain points in history the theatre seems to come very close to the reality of the mass of people in a particular community. And one of these times, of course, was definitely the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries. Now, I think that uh, this is no longer uh, the situation in the theatre today. Uh, there is a sense of removal from many people who look upon the theatre as highbrow and so on. 
And uh, somebody like Breadth has, in fact, broken this down in, su in some ways and in, in some instances, uh, where he has uh, attempted to uh, embrace uh, the unlettered and uh, as well as the sophisticated in the same um, sense of taste. Um, so you feel that it's really by working uh, in a truly contemporary way that a man uh, will be an heir to the mystery makers, not by writing pastiche miracle plays for today. Oh, absolutely. I think that, that we're so removed in terms of religion from the spirit of the miracle play or the, the uh, mystery play, um, whether religion is going to, in fact, uh, effect a return to this, I don't know. But uh, I, I would think that uh, there is this cleavage at the moment. The, the church and the um, common people in the Middle Ages seem to have uh, an extraordinary affinity which is expressed in the, in, the, uh, in the drama of that period, which I don't think quite exists today, certainly not in relation to drama, anyway. But there is a parallel between institution and society in general, and perhaps some of the same things can be said in perhaps sometimes in secular terms, which they were saying. Yes, I think so, yes. There, there's always the possibility. But uh, the drama, you see, uh, is, has become separated, I think, from, shall we call it, respectable opinion. Uh, so often in the 20th century that it's very difficult to make this gap to, to, to break, break through. And finally, let it be said that these plays, written over a period of 200 years before Shakespeare, are, in an overworked phrase, very exciting theatre. <laughs>